Hey folks, welcome back to the Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. And in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt, fish, and gather wild food. Our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild. So join us as we share stories, ethics, adventures, and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild. Hey folks, welcome back. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. Well, full disclosure here, I, I actually, when I listened to this podcast, I was like, oh man, I, I can't share this podcast because there's some, a lot of fairly specific information in it about where I hunt and how I hunt an area to the point that I think it'll upset some other folks who might hunt in the area. And similarly, my guest on this episode is, is my friend, Travis Kays, who is also hunting a very specific area that, you know, that at the end of the day, um, other folks likely hunt in the same zone and, 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 you know, reaching out or, or making this available to the the larger audience may add pressure to these areas. Now I thought this through and this is what I'm thinking. Okay. So first off, let me, let me introduce this podcast and, and what we're trying to accomplish. I, I, I have just recently moved back to the Sunshine Coast where I've owned a home for about 20 years. I, I was working up here as a park manager for many years and then I moved to the city and, and I've since had some, you know, life's changed a lot, all for the good and had the opportunity to spend this, this next year on the Sunshine Coast and working on the house and hanging out. That also offers me this amazing opportunity to hunt the Crown Land areas nearby my home and, you know, get this opportunity to wake up in the morning like basically put on my hunting clothes, throw the uh, binoculars around my neck and walk out the door, jump in the truck. And within minutes, I'm, you know, in on crown land and, and able to go on a hunting adventure for the day or even for a short period of time. Now, I, I sort of had a breakthrough this year in this hunting process. So as you'll hear in the podcast, I, I think I've been hunting behind this house for for 10 years and well I was living up here for the previous 10 years and I I, I think I saw like I, I bet you I saw 10 deer on those over about 40 efforts of hunting um you know and and as I talk about like I'm pretty good at hunting I know what to look for and yet I really this is a very deer depleted area uh with limited access for the type of hunting that I typically like to do the type of habitat the type of structure that I like to hunt it's just a tough hunt and so very very few black tails get killed uh in behind my house um on any given year so uh, as i was working this year i actually had a bit of success and learned a few things and and more so just applied a learning process to hunting an area and that's ultimately what i wanted to share with folks is like how do you go about learning a new area and applying uh, you know these different lessons as you go to what would be a very low success type hunt. And if you're talking blacktail hunting in BC, it's a low success hunt in general. And so you really have to focus on your process and and we'll and we'll talk about that in the podcast. So I was actually going to do this podcast on my own and just like kind of share that learning process and the application of the learning process. And I was doing a debrief call with a hunting season debrief call with my friend Travis Case, who's 
actually a relatively new hunter. He he came through the Eat Well program uh, several years back and really got into hunting. And, and we we have some community in common, so you know, we stay in touch. And he sends me fo- photos of his hunting successes. And, and he's had a really great journey and a very successful journey. And his focus has been hunting black-tailed deer in his backyard. So as we were sort of jamming on this, our hunting seasons and talking about our best hunts of the day, we were very much talking the same story about learning a spot in our backyard. And so I invited him on the podcast to talk about hunting blacktails in your backyard in very low success areas. So the, the reason why I hesitated to put this podcast together is, is the obvious thing is that, you know, it doesn't take, it won't take you very long to figure out kind of where I'm hunting, especially as I break down some of the types of, uh, habitat features that I'm looking for, you'll be able to pinpoint generally speaking in the area that I'm trying to hunt. And, and, and so my worry would be that, you know, the, the general community of folks who are learning how to hunt and learning for places to go may interpret that as a, as a, a research option to come and check out these spots, either in behind my house or in behind Travis's place. Now, first off, I think the most important thing is like, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a mentorship relationship with a hunter and they share information with you about a specific area or how to hunt an area as an ethical hunter, it's important to remember that that's not an invitation to go back to that area year over year. I I've had this happen to me with, with new hunters before and friends of mine where, you know, I've taken them to a spot to go hunting and they've had success and that's awesome. And that was the point. I wanted them to see good habitat. I wanted them to see deer and I wanted them to ideally, you know, harvest an animal when I'm there so I can support them through the process. Now, what's kind of a bummer is that the next year I, I come back to my, my spot and sure enough, there's my old roommate's truck parked uh, and camped at the main access point to my favorite spot. And I was kind of baffled. I was like, oh man, I guess I forgot the lesson about like, hey, like if you want to come hunt this spot, like come join our camp so we can all work it out together. Don't come solo hunt, you know, <laughs> the spot that, you know, we all take turns hunting over the course of the week and zone it out on your own. That's kind of a bummer thing to do. And, and that's happened, you know, in different forms to all hunters who who share their knowledge. And it's so important that hunters are comfortable sharing their knowledge because that's the only way that folks are going to be able to develop the skills and knowledge to go out and do this successfully. Having said that, we all put a lot of work into these areas to figure them out. And we might share something with new hunters to help them along the way, but it's not an invitation to come, you know, populate that spot. So, so my point here is number one, if, even if you could figure out where we're hunting, you know, I, I would really, you know, hope that the folks take away the learnings from this podcast that we're sharing. And it's not an invitation necessarily to, put a pin on the map and try and explore these areas. Cause I think there's lots of other places that are very similar to this, that you could start your journey to find your own secret spot and learn that process. Now, I think that's what I'm trying to get at here. And, and to be honest, like if you came up to me and said, Hey, where should I go hunting Dylan? Like, where should I go uh, find a black tailed deer? Like I would point you in many other directions other than uh, coming to the sunshine coast because I think the Sunshine Coast is a very, very tough place to hunt with extremely low deer densities and tough country, and the harvest rate is extremely low. So unless you happen to live here 
and you happen to be taking a sabbatical from work that allows you to go out and explore and hunt every day for two weeks and you have a you know a a lifelong passion for whitetail hunting and sneaking around in the woods and so a bit of mule deer hunting in your background like you'll find this extremely hard to hunt so i i'm actually not that worried <laughs> that someone's going to show up and you know blow out my favorite spot and you know kill the blacktail for next year out from under me I, I just don't think it's actually all that possible but also i really would hope that folks respect that that's that's hunting and hunting knowledge is shared in and that 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 sharing should be re- reciprocated in a way that you know respects that we don't blow out each other's spots so that goes across all for all hunters that share their knowledge so anyways that said there's a couple of resources i can point you to when you are looking for your secret spot, because there's going to be a lot of good information in this podcast that talks about, you know, what to look for and how to hunt it. And I've got a video that I did a couple of years ago. I was actually on a blacktail hunt and I was trying to like tell the story of like all the visual cues and the type of habitat features that I'm looking for while I'm on a hunt that helped informed a successful hunt. And I think it's called like finding your secret spot. It'll be on our YouTube channel um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a kind of cool. I really enjoyed it. I was at a tough, again, a low density black tail spot, hard to hunt, thick, difficult, but eventually turned up a few deer and had a successful hunt. And you can follow along my thought process on that video. Now we'll probably turn that video along with a bunch of other thoughts into an e-course. And I think I've got some curriculum built for that, that I'll be putting together, uh, over the winter here. And they'll make it available to, for like a longer format pro, uh, process for how I go about sort of breaking down an area while I'm on the hunt and what to look for. So look for that e-course coming up in the spring. Um, and then, of course, you know, our, our field workshops, like our, our hunter field skills workshop this spring, like that's kind of what we're doing. Like doing that like work hands on, put you in the field. This is what we're looking for. This is what we this is what we're not investing in in terms of our time. Um, and and in terms of exploring and, and really help folks get a handle on what to look for and how to hunt those spots as you go. And that's our Hunter Field Skills Workshop, along with a whole pile of other skills that we'll talk about during that three days where we put you up in cabins and feed you amazing food um, and um, you know show you around some amazing uh, deer country along the way. So having said all that, We'll get into this one. I'm joined by my friend uh, Travis Case, who you'll you'll meet here in a second. And uh, again, just want to yeah yeah obviously like out of respect to those f- folks who may hunt these areas. I hope that if you're listening to this, you understand that I'm not. Oh, we'll see how that how things come back. I can already hear it from a few folks, but um, I don't know. I, I hope it I hope it lands okay. L- anyways, let's get on with it. I. Uh, Yes, we have this podcast is sponsored by West Coast Kitchen Canada, which does amazing food uh, in a bag for your adventure hunts. And of course, we uh, uh, we use these seek outside teepee tents and a lot of all of our adventures now um, that keep us warm in the backcountry. And uh, yeah, and there's uh, yeah, so you can check them both out. You can use the discount code EatWild. Uh, .ca. I'm actually excited. We're just just starting to talk about maybe doing a project with with Seek Outside this spring, and uh, hopefully I'll get to tell you more about that as that plan comes together. So yeah, no things are things are awesome. Anyways, um yeah, hopefully this is landing sometime with you folks uh, after Christmas and you're m- missing hunting season, and um, this should get you pumped up for starting the hunt planning season for next year. 
Okay, actually, I just remembered another really important thing that I needed to tag on to this um, preview of the podcast. And uh, we ended up talking, Travis and I, about the ethics of long-range shooting. And, and I was sort of discussing my experience on both shooting deer and missing deer. And it particularly shooting in like tighter terrain and, and bush terrain and, and how what the what the challenges are and factors that cause uh, missed shots. Anyway, I think I think in that conversation, I said something on the lines that I I think I'd shot about a hundred deer, uh, and I should just put that into context. Um, I think on average, uh, if I did the math now without just saying it off the cuff, I think I've shot an average of two and a half deer um, over my hunting lifetime. Uh, two or three deer a year um, since I was probably 13 or something like that. So that's uh, uh, 33 years ago now. So somewhere not quite 100 deer. I think you'd throw in a pile of other elk and moose and other critters in there, a few bears or a couple of bears now. Um, so yeah, getting pretty close to somewhere around there. But just to give some context, it's, it's probably not 100 deer. Um, and uh, I probably don't have a number for how many deer I've missed but that's also probably a worthwhile conversation. Something I'd prefer to forget about all of the animals that I've missed over the years because they don't feel great. Um, having said that, uh, anyways, just to add a little bit of uh, context. Anyways, feel it's like I'm making an awful lot of excuses about this podcast. So hopefully you enjoy it and get some really good information out of it. And uh, yeah, please do take the time to review the podcast and share this with folks who care about this kind of stuff. Right on. Here we go. Right on, Travis. Welcome to the Wild Podcast. Hey, it's good to talk to you, Dylan. Yeah, I, it's sort of, you know, I, I I always think about why I do these podcasts. And the one thing that I've been finding as I've been, it, it, it's just an excuse to like to spend an hour with someone you want to catch up with and, and have a conversation. And, and, uh, and you're, it, and I, I've enjoyed following your journey as a relatively new hunter and, and watching you have success. And I, and I would say that you're probably of the folks that I've sort of, you know, have been through the Eat Well program and have gone on to become hunters. Have, you're kind of on the, the higher end of the, like the, more successful end of the spectrum, maybe quite so. So I, I'm really curious to t- talk to you about learning how to hunt. And I think that's what this is going to be about. But I, I, there's a few other things I want to talk about, but uh, and I'll introduce the, the main core of the podcast. But first off, maybe just say hello and, and tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to hunting at, as you said, age 37 with gray hair in your beard and in your hair. Right. You know, my, my journey is like a lot of people that you're involved with, with the Eat Wild program, right? You know, these are people who want to learn to hunt and learn to, you know, get their own food. And it, it started for me with food, you know, my wife and I, we bought some property out in the country and right away we were like, we we're so stoked. We're going to raise pigs and we're going to do these gardens and everything, you know, and, and just trying to be a little bit more self-sustainable. Um, that's kind of where it started for me. I, I didn't know anything about hunting, man. Like I, I didn't hunt as a kid, you know? So when we moved out to the country, you know what, if you don't mind, let me tell you a little story here. It's not Trav's first buck, but it's my wife's first buck. Oh, good. Give her, man. 
And so, you know, what happened was Allison had these wonderful gardens that she was growing and these deer kept getting in her gardens. <laughs> so it was kind of like this, like she was, she was pissed at these deer, you know, she tried electric wire and this and that, and it wasn't working. Mind you, she already had her gun license and her hunting license this time. I did not. Um, so every evening, Allison's kind of creeping around in the backyard with the crossbow and I'm, I don't think anything of it. I'm not involved at all. So the one night I'm making spaghetti and all of a sudden there's a, you know, she runs up the back door. Trav, I got one. It's like, <laughs> you got what? She's like, I got a deer. I'm like, what do you mean you got a deer? She's like, I, I just shot a deer. I'm just, what? So I go down in the back, you know, and sure enough, there's a spiker deer piled up in the backyard. And we didn't know what we were doing, man. Like, I had my leather, man. So we pulled up the YouTube and uh, we, we proceeded to field dress this deer with the leather, man, and uh, the help of YouTube. Um, you know, long story short, we ended up eating that deer over the winter. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, can we actually just get meat right here? Right here? Like, like literally in the backyard? Is, is this possible? This is awesome, right? Like, we were already raising pigs at this point. So we we're like, man, this is wicked, right? We can get, like, pork in the freezer and deer. And ever since that, I just dove right in. You know, I went and bought a crossbow. And I sat in the tree for, <laughs> a, like, ludicrous amount of time. And. Eventually I got my first little spiker as well. And, you know, it just, from there, you know, it opened my eyes to what was possible with, you know, getting meat in the back 40, you know, I was like, wow, this is awesome. But it was really hard. I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, that's kind of where you came in, man. Like I heard about the Eat Wild program and I went and took your backpack hunters workshop and kind of that, that's what kind of jump started it all for me and gave me the confidence to go out and you know, hunt for real, you know, I, I, cause it was just kind of a fluke before that. Yeah. Well, you've got a bit of a natural aptitude for it because, well, I noticed where you sent me a picture of one of the mule deer bucks you shot and I was, I knew exactly where you were. Cause I could see the background. Okay. I was like, oh man, that's <laughs> like one of my favorite spots. Like, right. That. But I think it, I, I mean, ultimately you're, you're a bit of a mountain person as well, right? I think you, you get out and ski and other things and, and, uh, that typically gets you into the mountains and, it's not a big translation when you're in these beautiful places where you're like, if you're snowmobiling or skiing, you're like, Hmm, I wonder what it's like here in this. And if I can get back here, you know, access, if you, if you're doing that type right. of stuff. So the next step is like, well, if I come back up this logging road and I hike up to that first meadow, what am I going to see? Right. And, um, so I, I, I do think like a lot of folks who have come through the Eat Well program have been those mountain people that have a pretty high degree of skills in the mountains and, and are explorers. And it's a relatively easy jump to becoming a hunter because you're taking your confidence and skills in the mountains and you're adding a rifle and some knowledge around, you know, habitat yeah, and what to look for. You know, you know what? It's relatively easy to make that jump, but it's not that easy. You do need some little kickstart. You need something like um, a mentor. And that's kind of what I know you've been promoting is this whole idea of mentorship over the years. And, and without that, I mean, you can watch all the YouTube you want, but without actually sitting down with a real person and ideally like hiking around in the mountains with a real person, asking those questions, peppering them with questions. It, it is hard. There is a barrier to entry to, to hunting. You know, it, it doesn't hurt to have some mountain experience. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, these mountain sports that we all do in British Columbia, uh, I think if you have an aptitude for that, you're, you, you're going to be a little more successful, but I do feel you, you need someone to kind of show you the way a little bit. You really so Travis, did you have a buddy, like a mentor when you were starting out? 
No, not really. Like, I mean, it's funny because my brother is a big whitetail hunter back in Ontario, right? And that's where the crossbow came in because I was like, I don't know, dude. What do I do? He's like, dude, you just got to get a crossbow, man. That's And you got to sit in a tree. And I was like, all right. <laughs> sit. So, so that's what I did, man. Like my first buck was on my backyard in Pemberton here, sitting in a tree with a crossbow. And I sat in that tree for an embarrassing amount of time. Like it was ridiculous, dude. Like it, it it's not a good method. Like I'm not ever going to advocate for go tree stand hunting with a crossbow in British Columbia for a blacktail it is not a good strategy. Okay. Well, um, this is perfect. So this kind of gets us to the topic at hand that I, I was excited to talk to you about. And it's, it's, you know, ultimately learning how to blacktail hunt. Sure. And I think both of us, um, you know, you have the privilege of living in some of the best blacktail country, uh, in the, in the, you know, southern part of British Columbia. And I've just moved back to the Sunshine Coast where there is a population of blacktails. Not, I wouldn't, I don't think anybody would say it's the best blacktail hunting. In fact, I spent 10 years living here on the Sunshine Coast and, uh, you know, hunting around with my lifetime of, you know, being a fairly successful deer hunter, uh, a whitetail hunter and a mule deer hunter and trying to find a blacktail in behind my house and, and just coming up, like just kind of thinking it was basically, I wouldn't say it's a waste, it wouldn't be a waste of time, but like, I, w- I would never have thought I could have relied on it for any type of, con- uh, of consistent success or even any type of like, um, like a hunt that brings positive reinforcement. Yeah. So like, like, like I love, so like when I go whitetail hunting, if I see, if I sneak up on, you know, if I get to see four or five deer and I get to see them, you know, they're not just running away. I get to have a good look at them. Yeah. Like that's a pretty good day of hunting and a great day is 12 and oh, maybe, wow. maybe you see two bucks, you know, like, and you get to watch them for a bit. Like oh. that's a great day of hunting. Yeah. Like blacktail hunting, it's not quite that, it's nowhere near that. Having said that, you just need to get that positive reinforcement that you're building on some Something that like you, you you saw a deer, you found some fresh sign, you found a bedding area, you found something new that builds on that knowledge. And I kind of want to talk about that hunting process and that learning process, especially hunting. What I think, and I would I would say to anybody now, like hunting blacktail deer is by far the most challenging deer hunt in British Columbia that I'm that I'm familiar with. Um, you know. Not because, I mean, for not necessarily the smartest deer, they just happen to live in fairly low, well, low densities in really tough country. And so I think your, 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 the, your, your application to hunt these has to be pretty methodical. Yes. I I would say. And that's what I want to talk about. So I want, I want, I want to, from someone who's gone from ground zero to, you're basically a two black tail a deer guy from what I can tell. Yeah. And, uh, and plus you throw in a few mule deer and other adventures along the way, you've done extremely well. So, I, and, and, I, and I've just had this breakthrough on the coast here where I'm like, geez, I, I think I could probably kill a black tail deer every year now. What I, because of this breakthrough. So yeah, that's our topic. A hundred percent. Yeah. Dylan, like 
you know, you mentioned the difference between mule deer and whitetail, and, and I'm no expert in in any of these three deer species, but I have put a lot of time into this blacktail thing, and and you're right, like it, it's not the same. You you don't go into a blacktail hunt and see several bucks and several even several does. You can often spend a day in the woods and not see a deer, not one deer, right? Uh, that happens a lot. Now I feel like. One, you know, you you had mentioned like you know what what's kind of a break breakthrough thing for you, and and one of those was was understanding when not to go. You know, like I was spending ludicrous amounts of time in these woods where the deer were not, uh, and learning when not to hunt. I feel is one of the biggest things in blacktail hunting. Like if the deer aren't there, they're not there. Um, also, if they're not moving, they're not moving. You know, well, let's let's break some of this down. Yeah. So, it gets, it gets, so, so the the first question I had for you was, I mean, what what was the first thing that you learned as a deer hunter? Like once, so I I like this thing about like getting advice on how to hunt deer from someone who lives in Ontario. Sure. And there you are sitting in a tree stand. Yeah. For you know, and then like fortunately, you know, that obviously that is a great way to hunt, but just not in the context of mountain hunting. Absolutely not. Uh, in BC. So, so what was the first thing that kind of got you, um, beyond the tree stand, beyond the crossbow and well, in the learnings? I, I was, you know, I'm fortunate. I'm a self-employed guy and I'm, I'm fortunate in that I could kind of take a bunch of time. Right. And, you know, for me, it, it took me a lot of time. I, I took many, many, many days before I was successful. And every year I get uh, a little better and don't have to spend quite as many days. Um, but it was mostly learning the habitat that these deer are in and where they're not. Um, yeah. For me, mostly it's, it's where they're not, you know, you're, you're, you're going into these areas. If you're not finding sign, if you're not finding rubs, if you're not finding sheds, then I'm not hunting there. Um, that was kind of the big, So, what does some of that country look like? So if you could, if you could say to me, like what, where do you not find deer? Like, okay. The- yeah. You know what? It's areas where, Okay, let, I'm going to reverse that question for where I think I do find them, just because it's a little easier to answer, right? But sure, sure, yeah. But like, dude, we're talking cliffy, big timber, steep and nasty. That's where these blacktail like to live, and especially that's where they like to winter. And that's when our opportunity to hunt these deer happens. Is uh, for me at least is is it's on their winter range, and if you can find a spot where these deer are shedding their antlers in the winter. Well, you've just found a spot where those deer are going to be during the rut, at least most likely. You can find old rubs. You can find rubs from years ago. That's still an indication that there have been bucks in this spot. So you're just kind of looking for buck sign, you know, like deer sign doesn't do you any good. You don't, you know, we're not out there trying to kill does, right? You're looking for buck sign. And in that scenario, you're looking for rubs. You're looking for sheds. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, in you know, as it relates to their habitat, these are areas in my experience, these are cliffy, steep, steep, just gnarly spots. Like sometimes when you're hiking, you're using your hands, right? Like these are Mm -hmm. steep spots. Um, and, uh, big timber, right? Because big timber allows for good bedding areas for these deer. You know, they've got good feed that blows off the trees. We have these big windstorms come and blows all the feed onto the ground. They've got feed they can access. And, uh, you know, south-facing, steep, big timber. That's kind of the recipe. And there's a whole lot of that in the region too here, man. Like, you don't have to be in any particular spot. If you find something steep 
and some with some old big timber, there's a good chance you're going to find some, some of this type of habitat. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, it's also, so well, there's two things you brought up there, which I, you know, first off, it, like, you know, typically big fur, uh, you know, it does, the other thing it allows is it, it, it it's, it's much more huntable than say regen forest, mm. right? So if you're talking about like the, the typically we're, we're talking, you know, and, and my experience as well is where there is, um, either old growth forest or second growth forest is now has mature characteristics. So it's starting to develop. Uh, you'll, you'll see old man's beard hanging off the branches. Yeah. You'll see uh, a big canopy, which then, it'll creates a little less like brush and stuff on the ground. Like, so you see, you know, there'll be salile, but, but maybe the salile is a little bit shorter, a bit, you know, a bit more stunted now. And ideally you want that, like, you know, for, for, for getting around and for huntability. And it kind of comes in the territory of those rocky, um, you know, cliffs and outcrops where you get the sort of moss cover rocks that, you know, it provide two things. I mean, one, it's, it is part of, you know, it, it's quieter to move around, uh, so you get a little bit of you know, you get a little bit of a, a a couple of bonus bonuses as a hunter that you can sneak around a little bit, uh, but it also offers places where these deer bed down. They, right. they they do like to bed down with a view, and often on these little rocky ridges, looking down into the gullies and such, um, they feel really comfortable there. So so those sort of three things is what what I've keyed in on for for looking for for critters. Um, the other thing is that they, they, you know, when I, where they don't live or, or whether, well, they don't live in clear cuts. Sure. I mean, they, they right. like, like they, they occasionally will come and feed on the edge of a clear cut, depending on the year of the clear cut. But eventually those clear cuts grow up and they no longer provide any habitat. And in addition to being completely unhuntable, um, they're also, uh, it, because you can't move through them. There's just very little food for deer yeah. in these monocultures. So, so it's, and so the last point is, is that those fur patches are actually what is the high value timber. So, yeah. you know, like there, there's the, if you go anywhere in region two, they're, uh, trying they're cutting that as fast as they can because it's some of the remnant, the high value forest. So, so it's a bit of a, it's kind of heartbreaking because you're, are you seeing that in, well, in your part of the world? You know what, Dylan, it's interesting that you say that. I, I hadn't thought of it from that perspective, you know, um, with the logging because I've only ever hunted this real steep stuff, but I didn't really put two and two together that the only reason that this steep stuff is such good hunting is because there's still timber there because it's not loggable. Right. Yeah. So I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. Um, because yeah, for sure. We have a lot of logging around here and you know, it's, it's often very impressive what they're able to, to log with heli logging and everything else. And, and they, they're starting to log some pretty steep stuff. Right. But, um, you know, if you can find these patches that are, are not logged, you, you know, you're, I guess to me, I, I had always associated blacktail with only being in this steep stuff that they can't log. But to your point, unfortunately, there's a lot of habitat that they probably typically would inhabit that they just can't anymore they're being displaced right yeah it's kind of a sad i mean it's i mean i don't want to really talk about forestry and 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 all the the things that bum me out but um so the spot that so 10 years ago i used to hunt this one little ridge behind my house and 
I'd go up there and I and I it had some of the characteristics that I like to hunt, which is like open forest, so it's got some mature timber on it, rocky bluffs, and it's got a nice view of the ocean, you know. So it's just a nice walk, and I I walk through there, you know, a few times a year during hunting season, and I may I think I I think I, yeah, I probably walked through there forty times and probably saw four deer or something. It wasn't yeah. super productive, but on the other hand, I don't think I was really dedicating the time during November to hunt there either. I was tagged out or. I was hunting somewhere else in November and I, I just hadn't put a, a priority on it just because I hadn't really f- had any positive reinforcement while hunting. Um, so this year uh, they nuked it. They, they, they logged it and that's a couple of little, like little patches of timber in and around the area. So I, I, I ended up, one thing that sort of happened and I think it's, and this is again, the theory, it's not like proven out in any type of study, but I think that the blacktail hunting just got slightly better because the deer that lived in that logging slash now live in a much narrower band of timber here and there. Interesting. Because they yeah. are now, they're basically stuck between the logging slash from five years ago on one side. And there's now there's a, basically they've cleared the whole area. And, and so there's little remnant patches of timber here and there. And if you go walk through those little remnant patches of timber, there's deer in there. Gotcha. And yeah. so I, I kind of think that I'm experiencing a little bit of a bump in, you know, quality deer hunting because you feel they're being kind of concentrated in these areas. Exactly, they're concentrated because they, they need that that like they just they just won't bed down in an open logging slash. No. Right? They might use it, but they're going to end up back in those old growth pockets, right? Or mature growth pockets and now hanging out. Do you think that these deer, while they're being displaced and concentrated into these areas, like you're talking about? Do you think that the overall population is less because of that as well? Well, I mean, I don't, I mean, I would think so. I yeah. mean, you'd have to think so. Cause, cause the, you know, the governing factor on the success of a wildlife population is the quality of their winter range and the amount of winter range. Okay. So I'm assuming that, you know, where, where you're talking about where you're finding sheds and where I'm talking about where, you know, I'm on a, I'm on the, you know, below the snow line and in a little growth forest like there's there's that's where they live like that and and they find enough food yeah and enough like us you know they can stay out of the storms and out of the rain and the snow yeah and underneath the canopy of those old growth trees and the cool point that you made and probably worth mentioning but like when those storms blow through and it knocks off the um boughs off of trees as well as the uh, uh, old man's beard and other lichen from the tree boughs yeah. and they hit the ground like that's big time deer part yeah. like they love it yeah absolutely yeah they nip the f- buds off the end of the trees and they eat all up all of that uh um uh, nips up the buds off the ends of the branches and they and they eat up all that old man's beard. isn't it just a wonderful thing to watch a deer eating chewing on that stuff it, it's just so cute right like they 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 grab that old man spear and they just suck it up in their mouth and their their little jaws going from side to side. And I've watched it a lot, especially with does. Right, you don't often watch a buck do anything for any period of time, but you know it, why is that? Perhaps? Oh goodness gracious, <laughs> they, dude! You never sucks. You just I don't know if this is your experience as well, but like oh man, you just don't see these these. Blacktail deer, you've heard this, you know, ghost of the Pacific kind of phrase, right? And they're ghosts, man. Like these bucks, you, you just don't see them unless it's in the summertime and then they don't care for some reason. They like they, they got a calendar, but 
you rarely see these deer, man. And so just watching the does is cool. Like watching them feed, seeing what they're eating. It's great. But uh, man, you don't get a lot of opportunity to watch a buck do anything. Unlike mule deer, right? Like, you know, I know that you do a lot of mule deer hunting. And so you're able to observe these deer. You know, you can sit on a, on a ridge with your spotting scope and your binoculars and you can actually, maybe you can watch a bachelor group of bucks doing this and that. And I, I've done it myself up on the summer range. You know, you're watching these velvet bucks cruising around doing this and that. Uh, and you just don't get that opportunity with black-tailed deer to actually watch them. You know, you, you never see them. And when you do, you don't see them for long. That's my experience, at least. I, I, I was, uh, the reason why I thought it was because you just shot them. <laughs> that well, why you don't really get to that watch That happens too. Much. too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about, like, uh, you know, where to look. But and then I think the other piece is, like, you know, and we've kind of already talked about it, but it's, maybe we could spell it out a little bit about when. Oh, man. You know, when, when do you start to actually get serious about, or actually, tell me this what has been your program like when you approach blacktail hunting from you know, the seasonality, yeah. like I'm sure there's aspects of us that, you know, happen outside of hunting season that, that prepare you for the season. So maybe walk us through that. Okay. So this sounds like I'm such a nerd here, but like blacktail deer hunting starts in like March kind of thing for me. Like, so yeah. when they drop their antlers, that's when I start hunting them. Right. So because you know, I, I, I hunt very locally and I, I run trail cams too. Right. So I kind of get a little bit of a pulse on what's happening in, in the, in the area. Um, so from previous season trail cam images, I've actually seen when buck has antlers, buck has one antler, buck has no antlers. So I've kind of been oh, able cool. to pinpoint actually when these bucks are dropping their antlers and, and I, I try not to touch the, I, I try not to go, go mess around with them while they're before they've shed their antlers, you know, like these, these deer are living a hard life and I don't want to pressure them in the winter. Right. Like I don't want to get in there too much in their program. Like the bucks are trying to, you know, do their, mainly it's these, these does that you don't want to bother. Right. These does are trying to grow a fetus in the winter and you know, you want to keep them healthy. Um, but no, to answer your question, it, it starts in the winter. I really do enjoy shed hunting. That's going to tell me a little bit about, uh, the fact that there's bucks there, what kind of bucks are there. Um, and then it's kind of a whole season thing. You know, what's funny is, uh, one of the greatest breakthroughs in blacktail hunting for me has been black bear hunting, believe it or not. I'm mm. actually out in these, you know, the, these two species share habitat, right? And just getting out there, black bear hunting. I'm also, I'm really curious is, am I seeing sheds and I'm, am I seeing rubs? These are all getting pinned into my GPS. You know, you're getting knowledge about what's going on in, in the area. Um, so spring black bear hunting is really beneficial just to kind of see what's going on. Um, but as far as once the season starts, oh man, I made so many mistakes the first few seasons where I was out there in September, just hunting hard, man. And they're mm. not there. Like, what, what am I doing? I'm wasting my time, you know? Um, and from the trail cam data that I've collected over the years, it's really interesting to see when these deer are around and when they're not. So when do they show up in your hood? Not in September. Not, not at all. It's funny. It's like in the summer, I see more deer activity than I do in September. I see more, I see more activity in August than I do in October. It's, mm -hmm. it's November, man. November is the name of the game. 
So, so what, and, and what time in November do you, do you start to see these deer showing up when you're in the, into their winter range, yeah. you know, and, and it's, you know, it's south facing, talked about it, like old growth patches, remnant old growth patches and uh, in and around your place there. Um, yeah. when do they show up? So they start showing up kind of when the rut kicks in, you know, which is, you know, mid, let's call it early to mid November, but, and I don't know the, know why, but these big bucks tend to show up late November. Like I'll see, it's interesting because when you have an opportunity to hunt like a particular spot, like I do, like I have call it three, four trail cams at any given time, kind of s- separated around my, my zone. And I'll kind of get a sense of which bucks are up there. You know, my, my deer spot Dylan is not great, right? It's not high density. Any given season, there's going to be five bucks up there. It's not, it, it's not like this, uh, it's not like uh, some of these areas where there's you know, dozens of mule deer running around. Like there's a, not a lot of deer up here, but you know, so you get to know these individual deer. I found, you know, antlers from deer that I recognize from my cams and then I'll find their antlers again next year. And sometimes I'll see these deer. One time I shot one of these deer, right. That I, that I knew. Um, so this is the piece about like, you know, hunting. And I, and I think for me that the interesting part about this past year and and i like what i I, i'm really excited about this because because you're talking about some things that i that i really have learned about in this year uh and that's you know you know having the opportunity to hunt close to home and i think that's kind of the theme of this conversation very much a luxury of you know in your case you can hunt behind your house in my case i can hunt behind my house um and uh you know please don't go and hunt behind my house because you know it's not it's not no, a good spot unless you are, spot unless you dedicate yeah. um and, and you can afford to dedicate you know like in my experience this year i i um went up and discovered that my old spot was nuked and then i was like okay well i'll just like see you know the, but also it creates road access to sure. new spots so then i yeah. you know i start to explore these different you know patches of forest that are still there and like i said there's some of these remnant patches between fairly large uh, logging slashes. So I started exploring those and I was like, pretty soon I was like finding some deer, de- like decent deer sign density. I mean, and the crazy part is that like what I would have considered, like what I consider high deer density, say in like what I would hunt whitetail in or even mule deer. It's like, if I'm not stepping on a pile of poop every step or looking at, or not walking on beaten down trails, yeah. That, you know, like I took some footage of, of some, like some hunting this year. I, I was going to do a, a bit of a webinar on, on, it's, you know, kind of a, assessing deer, uh, like how much a deer is utilizing an area and, and using the snow of this year to kind of tell that story. Cause it was so frequent this year. And so you can kind of be like, okay, this is two days of deer sign in an area, what it looks like and kind of trying to help people understand, you know, what what a high density a deer is and whether it's worth investing the time in there. So like it's, it's one tenth of oh, uh, what I would normally, and, you know, <laughs> what I would, if I was hunting white tailed deer, I, I would expect like if, yeah, like if I see a pile of poop, I'm like, Oh, this, that, that, that's from this season. Yeah. Okay. That's a good sign. Right. Like it, it's so exciting. Like, what's my starting oh, point? Yeah. I do a hundred percent. And that's the thing with these spots. So my, my community and up here where I live, you know, I, I know a few other dedicated blacktail hunters, right? Like I'm certainly not the only guy that's, that's doing this, but every, every one of us, Hey, did you see anything today? Dude? Yeah. I saw two does this morning. It was awesome. It's, it's on, man. It's on. Uh, 
on, right? Like it's, it's really, really low deer density. And you know, it's, it's interesting, like what you're kind of joking about earlier there, like oftentimes if you see a buck, you shoot that buck and there it is, you're done. Like you don't see bucks, you just don't see them. Um, and if you do typically you shoot them and like, I mean, dude, I'm a meat hunter and I love everything about all of this stuff, but holy cow, do I have some spikers and two points on the wall, right? Like it's any, any black tails, a trophy to me, I find it to be very challenging. And if, if I, if a two point walks in front of me, you know, he's going down pretty much. (laughs) Well, this is, this is so, so I've really changed. So I think the, the biggest thing for me in learning how to blacktail hunt is that I've changed my expectations from my measures of saying, okay, I want to see multiple deer. I want to see high density sign it sign. No, my, my new, like, so, so the experience that I had on this year is I, I, I identified another Ridge and I, and I could get pretty close to it with the truck. So I got out and, and I went for a walk and I was like, I actually stepped on a few piles of poop and there was some trails and I was like, more importantly, there was, I could actually hunt it a bit because it was like, it wasn't just salile and brush. There was a bit of that rock bluffy stuff that we've been talking about and some mature timber. And I was actually having a pretty nice, like I was just having a nice walk. And then I bumped into a deer. I'm like, that's a deer. That's a little doe. Cool. Okay. She was bedded down there. That's kind of where I was thinking there'd be a deer bedded down. And there was a deer bedded down there. That's, that's positive reinforcement. And, and I kind of scooted across this ridge and kind of, ended up hunting my way out to about where you couldn't hunt anymore. It just got too thick and I'm sort of scooting my way back and I was going to just bust out this one other little spot to see if there was a continuation of this piece of habitat that was, I found favorable to my type of hunting. And there was a deer standing there and it was, a, it was a mature buck. And I was like, I was genuinely sort right? of surprised and it was not think I was not in the zone yeah. to be like, I should shoot this thing. And I, but I, I quickly got it in the zone and it was a no doubter to shoot, uh, well, they're all no doubters. Uh, and, and so I, I, I kind of sort of scooted up a little bit, got to a tree where I could sort of see him walking away or kind of, you know, know, scooting away a bit. And he, and he stopped and I kind of had a marginal shot at him. I, and I just, I I didn't, didn't take it hoping that he would just present again somewhere in the timber and he didn't present. So, but that got me fired up. Oh yeah. I was like, well, shit, this is, this is positive reinforcement. I I found a spot. There's two here here. I stepped on four pieces yeah, of poop. <laughs> like I am, I am in the, I was, I was so fired up because I, I just had this mission now. I got like, Hey, I can figure this out. Like I know there's a deer here. Yeah. I know it's huntable. I know it's good habitat. It's got all those yeah. three things. Well, now I'm set. Now I'm inspired. There only right? has to be one deer. There's got to be one that, you know, and that this is, uh, there's an old fellow that I, that I've kind of been learning from up here and that's his mantra. He's like, it doesn't have to be full of deer. It has to have one. That's, yeah. that's, that's kind right. of it. I, one of my friends shot the biggest blacktail I've seen in the Valley. And he was in this spot that made no sense. It was like, what are you doing, man? Like, and we were texting through the day. So this is how we, how we hunt these, these blacktail. Like we don't go out together. We hunt individually and then we text back and forth. Hey man, are you seeing anything? You know, like <laughs> we're always kind of like, yeah. you know, what elevation did you see those does at? Whatever. Right. So Anyways, I, I was hunting the same day as my friend who was in this spot that kind of made no sense, you know, and it's like, yeah, dude, there's no deer, no deer, no deer, no sign, no sign, buck down. And it was a big buck. 
And that's just how it goes. Like there doesn't have to be a lot. And that's kind of what's kind of fun about this backyard blacktail stuff is that, you know, it's not very inviting. Like people don't want to go hunt where there's no deer. So you're not going to see anyone up there, you know? Well, it's funny. It's the first time I've been comfortable talking about a spot that I hunt relatively specifically yeah. on a podcast. Cause I'm like, okay, like yeah. if you want to, like, if you want to take a ferry over here and spend 200 bucks and drive sure. up here and like try and figure it out, like, you know, but you're not, you're not right. going to figure it out because I honestly, I spent 10 years trying to figure this out and coming yeah. up short. And now I've just figured out one little thing that produced a, a right. deer and it took me. So after I saw that deer, I, I came back and I hunted it four more times. And the second time I hunted it, I kind of, I, I didn't, there was the deer. I just didn't see a deer, but I didn't see the buck. Um, and I, and I kind of pushed along the ridge a little bit more and I discovered another little pe- patch of huntable ridge. So now I've got two little patches that I can hunt. So now, and we're talking patches like, like hundred oh, yeah. meters by a hundred yeah. meters and then a, and a patch of awful shit. And then another patch, a hundred meters, hundred meters. That's kind of yeah. like huntable. And so it took me a couple trips in there to figure that out. And then I had to figure out the prevailing winds are, are a big deal there. Like you can only, if it's blowing from the North then it's probably crisp and dry. So it's something we should talk about is when to hunt. I mean, you, you alluded 100%. to it earlier, um, but when just to stay home, but you know, when it's blown from the North and it's, it's cold and dry and crunchy, like, like it's probably not even worth going out. So you, so, so you have to like figure out how you can hunt it from the, when there's a Southeasterly coming up where there's a bit of moisture in the air and there's a bit of wind in the air and it's much quieter in the woods. And so the route that you get into these little pockets has to be coincided with, you know, your access routes, number one. And then secondly, um, I, I call it a tack and you, and you must have this Travis in your spot, like a tack where you, you sneak into these places a certain way. Oh. Like you literally probably know where oh, yeah. it's going to land before you go in. So you're sneaking through, you've got these little vantage points that you're sneaking up to, you're peering into these spots, you anticipate to see deer and all of that. So for, for, in my case, that took me four times to f- figure out how I could sneak into this spot with the wind, right. And, and then I sat on my spot and I, I actually, and, and I actually called with my little doe bleat yeah. four or five times. And now I don't, I mean, he eventually came into my little setting and I, and he cruised through it. And this is something I, I wanted to discuss with me. you, man. I, this is my question. <laughs> One of my questions for you is the, the calls and are you doing yourself a service or are you doing harm? Oh, okay. You okay. Know? So, so let's, let's, let, let's table this okay. the calling bit. And if we have time, we'll talk about it then because I got so much oh, yeah. to say about this because I think it's a, it's kind of a screw up, but maybe it's okay, but we'll, yeah. we'll come back to that because I think it's, it's almost derailed. <laughs> I, I, we, we may fill up oh, another yeah. hour and I want to try and keep this to, to an hour or so, but, um, but having said all that anyway, so, after four or five days of trying to figure out this one spot on top of 10 years of generally hunting in the same zone, I finally killed a black tail buck. And that was, it was awesome. awesome. And it was the shortest drag out of a deer that I can ever remember. It was like 300 yards down the road. What was was awful. It was just so freaking terrible. It was like, because again, like, there's no way like the 
to get to the logger road, you got to go through 300 uh, meters of logger slash. Yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah. it was like this 25 year old just awful jungle like just like head high smile yeah. and once you push through that then you go through head high uh like black uh blackberry bushes it was like just awful and i and i and i and i, and I was like oh this is black mm. hunt. like i should have i should have just cut them up and walked out the way I, I there's one little spine of timber left that you can get into this area and uh, i should have just cut them up and Put them on. I ended up cutting them up. Like, I, I just gave up, and I basically had to walk out. Oh, oh dude, it was terrible. Hey, what was, was awful? What was Black the hunting. range that you shot this deer at? Oh goodness, I don't know. Like right, and yards. this. And do you find right. in your experience everything's inside of fifty kind of thing with blacktail? Oh, it's with everything. I mean, I, I think I've killed. I mean, I don't know how many deer I've killed, but like, I would say that. I can think of like maybe 10 deer that I've shot that are over a hundred yards and maybe three or four over 200 yeah. and, and like a hundred under, under, yeah, under okay. 60 yards. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, no, no for question. Sure. Like, uh, I mean, whitetail hunting and, and timber hunting for blacktails. It's all, uh, sorry, timber hunting for mule deer, which I've done a ton of. Um, but we're, and, we're talking about still hunting here. Few, yeah yeah still hunting timber like yeah. that's kind of what i do right like every once in a while i like the most unproductive hunts that i do are are like okay and stock hunts yeah. in the alpine they're fun they're, they're yes. awesome they're it's so beautiful and comfortable <laughs> but yeah. yeah they're lovely but they're totally i mean if i want to kill a deer 100%. i just go wander around the woods yeah. until i find no one. that's what we yeah. find around here and you know something i kind of want to mention is like it's one thing to put yourself into these situations where you may encounter a black-tailed deer but like can you shoot it now? And that's a big question. Oftentimes, like these bucks present themselves for, for like oh. seconds. And then sometimes they're mm. in some bush. They got their vitals are obstructed or there's all, all number of problems with actually putting a bullet into this animal, right? There's so many, <laughs> many issues. They're, they're on the move, you know, they're, they're chasing a doe. They're, or they're behind this brush. So I find that, you know, one of the things that I've really learned is you, you do have to be proficient with your rifle in this black, blacktail hunting kind of world. And you have to be kind of confident to maybe take a suboptimal type of shot. Now I'm not saying we're not throwing Hail Marys out here. We want to do respect to the animal, but Holy cow, you're not going to sit there and lay down on your bipod and put it behind the front shoulder and wait a few, like that just doesn't happen in the blacktail woods. And you know, you got to learn to kind of shoot quick. And there's a, you know, there's all kinds of techniques involved. You know, you get a rest on a tree if you can, or, you know, use your ski poles, which is a real good little way to do it. But uh, holy cow, it happens fast, man. Like, you know, in your experience with blacktail, like have you ever watched a buck for a period of time before shooting it? No, no, no. It's it's sort of similar to whitetail hunting in the sense that, like, I mean, that's you know, it's very much a huge part of whitetail hunting. Is like, if 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 you're timber hunting whitetail, obviously, if you're sitting in a tree or a stand, you're going to have those deer going to come in undisturbed, and you're going to have all that, like you said, more time to you know set up and or be ready for it. Whereas if you're wandering through the woods, like it oh, happens yeah. so fast, and 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 like you said, like the, the like and. It's a difficult one for me to talk about because like I, 
I throw a lot of sh- like cast a lot of criticism onto you know some of the folks who are celebrating the long range shooting and you know setting up and shooting at an animal at four or five hundred yards and shooting two feet over its back and then two feet behind its ass and then eventually shooting the leg sure. off and then eventually like you know getting a couple more into it and then turning around and high fiving their buddies and celebrating. I'm like that's just that's not cool. But then 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 like I, I should just because. You know, like I'm in the I'm in the timber, and there's like so many variables that you know you don't necessarily see when you're in the timber, and that's like you know, like shooting through brush. And, and one of the really common things that happens, and it's happened to me, it happened to me on this 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 year in my whitetail hunt. I um so my whitetail hunt this year, I was managing around some difficult snow conditions. So I was changing the way I hunt a little bit. So really trying to work vantage points where you kind of sneak up onto a ridge and then look down into the next little like basin or whatever. And uh, and I, I was hunting my way along and I had seen seven or eight mule deer on this little ridge. I, I know it's a mixed ridge. There's, there's, there's mule deer and whitetail on this ridge. And I kind of get into a spot that I knew I had, I had a little bit of ridge to work for vantage because it was a bit noisier than I would expect to be able to sneak up on a whitetail. And I <clears throat> peer over the side of this, this ridge, and I'm looking down and there's a buck bedded down below me about 70 yards away. And it's a tremendous buck. It's like, I get just looking at his neck and the weight in his antlers. I'm like, Oh, oh okay. Mm. This is, this is a dandy whitetail deer. And, and where we hunt, it, there's not, it's, you don't come across a lot of dandies. I mean, we, every once in a while you get a crack at one and, or see one, um, but man, this was the nice deer, and I'm and I'm like, okay, 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 calm down, and I got all the time in the world here because he's looking directly away from me. <clears throat> I had to look at him really hard because he's, he's he's so heavy that I'm like, could it, oh, wow. could that be a mule deer? Like yeah. it's just it's so much mass, eh? And and of course I I, I know it's a white tail just by looking at it, but I can't see its face and I can't see its tail, so I'm just looking at its ears and its antlers. And I'm looking at it from the back, and I'm like. I know that's a white-tailed deer. Like it's, I'm hundred. I'm like ninety nine point nine percent sure, but I still want to see it a little yeah. bit more. Just I just want to see like any like guaranteed like just because you know antler configuration alone you can't really look at a deer right. You can't really you can't genuinely say well sure. you got to see their face right. At least I do. And I'm like oh he's got little ears. I'm like oh and then I like finally he turns just enough and I can just see like it's a classic yeah. like beautiful like mature five point. I'm like, okay, this is 100%. So I get set up. I got my ski pole. I'm on the I'm on the ledge. I'm looking down at him, and I put the crosshairs on his back. I'm like, I'm not too worried about. Oh being no, lost yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure he Anchor dies. Shot. <laughs> Anchor shot. He's a beautiful deer, and I shoot, and he just he like I'm so close that he just freaks right out and runs down the hill. And I'm thinking, okay, 100% dead deer, just the way he reacted after I shot, and. uh and sure enough, I, I get down there and I start, you know, like give it a while and I start looking. And I'm like, okay, there's his tracks and I'm on his tracks and I'm like on his tracks. And it's like, you know, often 20, 40, 60 yards, I don't find blood. That's not a big deal. And I started getting a little bit worried. I'm like, but I was so sure I hit him just by how he reacted because he spun right away. He was so like shocked and I was like, oh, he's, he's, I got him. And I'm like, no blood, no blood, no blood. I, I keep on going and shit, I get going a long way down there. And now I'm like 200 meters from where I shot him and I see him booting off he's 200 yards from me and oh, wow. he's cruising across this one opening i'm like he's not hurt he's just he's good and he's like yeah and i go down to those tracks and clean it cl- clean this anyway so yeah well, 
Yeah, I mean, we, I, we you can know, hope. I, I yeah, don't say hope, that because I, yeah. you can hope, but I mean, sure. like every time you pull the trigger, like you don't, you don't, you don't ever no. get to say it's a clean miss because sure. you don't know. Right. And, and they suck up yeah. lead all the yeah. time and they you put holes in them yeah. in places they don't bleed. I mean, you gotta take that responsibility. Like, I, I don't think he's, I mean, something sure. happened. He yeah. didn't die. Right. And, and so when I, when I went back up to see what happened and I, I, I always put a piece of flag and yeah. tape from where I shot from on a little tree. And then I went back to his bed and I'm standing in his bed and I'm looking back up to the ridge where I shot from. And I surprisingly like couldn't see the flag and tape. I'm like, huh, that's weird. And I look at my binoculars and I'm looking and I'm moving around, I'm moving around trying to like reorient. And, and I'm realizing that it's actually a lot thicker up there than I had thought where I was shooting from. And I was shooting through a couple of trees and this old man beard, he's in the open, but where I was shooting from was, was quite covered up. Anyways, I climbed back up there and I had a look, another look at it without, you know, one thing that'll happen is like you see something and you look through it through binoculars and it brings that deer forward and it clears yeah. out any obstruction. And then if you transfer to your, to your scope, it's, it's sort of, it's does that same thing, right? Or it clears everything out. So unless you kind of like really look with your naked eye to see what is, you know, where there may be any obstruction between your, the barrel of your rifle and the animal yeah. without looking through your scope. Cause your scope will it actually will. cut yeah. out a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So in the end it was brushier. I mean, it wasn't super brushy, but it was yeah. brushy enough. I guess, uh, and you know, to, these yeah. sh shooting with your rifle. I mean, I'm a bow hunter as well. Right. So it, bow, bow, shooting with your bow, shooting with your rifle. There's so many things. There's so many variables. There's so many reasons why you can do a perfect shot or not. Um, and you know what? I, I kind of want to touch on something you just said. So it's it's funny, Dylan, but I'm like almost hesitant to mention that I have dabbled in this long range world. But I have. And did you? I, I don't know if I really told you about my big black tail that I killed this year. But I killed. Oh, well, tell okay. the story for the audience. Let's give. Okay. Hey, hold on. Let's let's have a pause sure. here just for one second, and then we'll okay. come back to your big buck story. I just have to grab a beer. I was gonna pause the audio. So, so fill us in on your on your on your black tail hunt from this year. Okay, so as you know, I love hunting blacktail it's it's my jam right i'm just so down with blacktail it's like you know you to me like it's just it's better than a mule deer and i hate to say that because some people are gonna be like dude what are you talking about you're an idiot but to me blacktail is just where it's at it's just i just love it so much right so i'm thinking to myself you know we're fortunate in region two here that we have two tags i'm like wow wouldn't it be great wouldn't it be great if I could fill my one tag in November, as I typically do, but fill my first tag in September, because mm -hmm. these deer are somewhere, and <laughs> they sure as hell ain't where I normally hunt, right? They're not in these, you know, this whole, this habitat that you and I have been discussing, these, you know, these bluffs and this timber, this and that, that, that there's, they're not there in September. They're in the Alpine, right? So I was like, you know what, man, I, I'm going to, I'm going to really put in a solid effort to try to figure out if I can find blacktail on their summer range in the high country. Oh, cool. So, so this summer I did a couple of big scouting trips. I'm talking like all, overnight, big, big hikes in the Alpine and, you know, sitting up on the ridge with spotting scope at dawn and, and, uh, and I sure enough, lo and behold, I found some deer 
right? And it's a small area, but it's an alpine basin. And this is kind of like your mule deer scenario, right? Like you're watching these deer feed and you know, the early morning and then they recede into the timber and everything. But, uh, you know, lo and behold, I, I see like four bucks. One of which is is a is a he's a he's a dandy buck. He's a wide buck, right? There's a, like a spiker and a little two point, and you know a couple of does and this and that. Anyway, so I proceed to, you know, obsess over this. I did two scouting trips where I I saw them both times, and and then I develop a hunt plan. I went up there. I don't know if you were hunting in the early September of this year, but there was these forest fires. There was heat. Oh, yeah. There was bugs. It was horrible, awful. right? It awful, was yeah. awful. So I was all cranked up, man. Like I hike up into the zone for four nights. I'm like, oh yeah, it's it's happening, man. Four nights in the tent, dude. Just like getting destroyed by mosquitoes and like smoky. Couldn't see shit. It was awful. Didn't see anything. All I saw was bears. And I saw a lot of bears, but like no deer at all. I was like, what the fuck, man? Excuse my language. So I hike out of there and like, but I know these deer are there. I saw them, right? I know they're there. It's a small spot. So anyways, I, I got to go to work for a week here. And next weekend, I'm like, all right, I'm going back up. I back up into this zone and I see the deer. So, you know, once you start learning a herd, you, 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 you know, you can see like, oh, that two point. Well, that's not the deer that I'm after, but that two point's always cruising around with that big buck. Yeah, so they're there. So they're there. You know, that's that same two point that I saw with that big buck. So this is this is the crew, man. So I, I had previously learned a lot about this whole long range hunting thing. You know, I, I'm privileged to be a member of the um, Pemberton Range here. We have a really great facility here, and and I shoot my gun a lot, and I practice a lot. So. I had in my mind, now this is going to sound controversial, Dylan, but I, in my mind, I'm shooting out to 600 very comfortably. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of caveats to this. Like you need to build a stable shooting position in order to do this, right? So let's go back to my hunt here. So I'm hiking up the ridge and I look across and lo and behold, there's this little two point. Okay, it's on. This is where they're going to be. I'm going to build my stable shooting position right now. I don't know where this big buck is, but he might be over there somewhere. I've previously ranged it. Everything's within about 400 or so. So I, I diligently got my shooting position set up. This is like front bipod. I've got my backpack. I've got a rear rest. And I'm laying prone behind my rifle at this area where I may or may not see this big buck. And I do see the big buck. So he walks out. <laughs> Now he's, unfortunately, he's kind of on his way up and over the mountain. Now this deer, dude, like if you've ever seen, I know you've seen it before where the one big one, he just looks different from the rest of them. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, he was, he was gray. This deer was, he was a different color, man. His antlers were wide. Unfortunately, he was walking up and over the mountain. I could just tell from the direction he was traveling. He wasn't coming to where I wanted to shoot. So he walks in this set of trees and I started doing this little exercise that I learned where I don't have a clip in my gun. I pull the bolt back. I put my crosshairs on a rock and I dry fire and they don't move. So I do it again and I dry fire again and again. 
I dry fired my rifle probably 12 to 15 times mm -hmm. on this rock. There's a little bit of adjustments in there where I would, I, I have a little rear bag that I bring in the backcountry. It's basically just like a little bag with my puffy jacket jammed in there and mm -hmm. whatever else, you know, my game bags are in there. So I've got a little rear rest. I'm, I'm set up. Like if I take my hand off the gun, the gun doesn't move. The gun is stable. It's a stable shooting position, right? Yep. So I'm doing all of this dry firing exercises on a rock about the size of a pie plate. Now, this is where I hesitate to say, but I'm going to tell you what the range was. It was, it was 497 yards. Wow. So that it's 500 yards, right? Yeah. But I'm dry firing on this thing and I know that it's good. There's no wind. There's no wind. I did not intend to shoot this deer at this, at this range. I was like, I wanted him to come down to three to 400, but he was at 500 and I'd been, practicing and <laughs> he walks out of this he walks out of this little patch of timber and he's standing there broadside and i have my crosshairs my crosshairs aren't moving at all and this is because i have taken the time to build a stable shooting position yeah i check my little dope sheet that i printed on the side of my rifle you know 500 yards is seven moa i grab my dial seven click click and I just press the trigger as if I'm pressing a button on a keyboard. You know, you're not pulling, you're just yeah, tapping it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, long story short, this, this deer went down and he's on my wall right now. <laughs> but I, I, the reason I hesitate to say this is because people get this idea that you can shoot deer to 500 yards. And you can. But, oh my God. Did I put a lot of work into this? You're fucking right, I did, man. Mm -hmm. I put boxes and boxes of ammos downrange before I shot this deer. I would go in my backyard, Dylan, and I would set up mock shooting scenarios where I would point at a spot on a cliff and I would dry fire at it 15, 20 times. So it's just basically building these proficiencies with your weapon that I feel can, you know, increase your odds as a hunter. I'm not about to take that shot unless I know that I can make it. And it, it is doable, but that's why it's, it's a weird subject. I know you, you get this, but the long range world, it's a weird world. It's a weird world. I mean, and I, like, I, I appreciate your approach and I think that, and I think you carefully kind of spelled out your approach and you didn't shortcut the, the discussion, because I think it's worthwhile explaining your process and not just, you know, and that, I mean, and part of the issue for me is that like the, uh, you know, there, there, when it's projected in other forms of media, there's, you know, there's the shot, there's the high five, but there isn't necessarily all of these, all the practice and all the setup that goes into making that shot. So it, it does, right. just, I mean, I think people are smart enough to know that, well, I hope people are smart enough to know, but it, it becomes normalized because it, even, it, even when you talk about it, like, I'm like, yeah, maybe I should put more time in at the range and get more comfortable shooting out to, you know, 400 yards plus. And, but I also know that like, man, I missed the year at 200, no problem. So like, I don't know yeah. how I would, but then again, I'm not necessarily walking around the bipod. I'm not bringing a little bean pad for the, the butt of my rifle. It's just not something I've, I've really taken seriously. So at some point, you know, maybe it's a journey I, I can go on, but really it's, I'm concerned about it just because I think that it's, you know, it's a weird thing to bring up in a blacktail discussion because like, when's the last time you heard someone shooting a blacktail 500 yards, right? Like, it's just not, it's not part of the, the kind of discussion typically and and you know for me I, basically for me what it was was i'm creating opportunities for myself and if i'm learning where these blacktail are living on their summer range 
And if I'm learning about where I can position myself in proximity to these deer, and if I can train to the point where I can ethically shoot my rifle out to that distance, then, hey, meet in the freezer, you know? But I don't want to come across as like, this is something people should do is go shoot deer at, in the Alpine, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's why it's funny for me to like, I'm not out there bragging like, Oh yeah, man, 500 yards. Like I was almost embarrassed about that. I shot this deer at this range, but like when I pulled that trigger, Dylan, I was a hundred percent. Like I was like, Oh yeah, this was a more confident shot for me than a lot of the 40 yard blacktail shots up on the cliffs. When they're fucking running, like yeah. I remember, yeah, I last, understand that, and, and that's I think that's know? the piece that's sort of you know like that I have to acknowledge is that like what I consider a short range shot just has just as many variables that may be outside your control as shooting longer ranges, right? And I think that's something that I've learned because of a, a lifetime of missing a lot of deer. I miss lots of times, and 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 a lot of them are unexplained. A lot of them are actually fairly you know pretty obvious explanations. Um, but I think the, probably the, the point of this conversation though, is at some point you have to shoot these things and, right. and yeah, yeah, at some point you got to pull the trigger, you pull the trigger. and it's Dude. rarely ideal conditions. It's rarely Dude. perfect, clear broadside 100%. shot. Like, and you know, at some point you just got to acknowledge that that's part of the hunting process is that when you pull the trigger, you're taking responsibility and yeah. you have to be comfortable with the fact that, Hey, you might you know, miss altogether. You might maim and injure a deer. That's part of the responsibility you're taking on. And as much yeah. as you could, and, and it's up to you as a, as a hunter to minimize that, that risk, that, that, that margin of risk that it, it's there, but it'll never go away because you can never control all the factors. And just, no. And you know, the whole follow-up shot, right? Like nobody wants to take a follow-up shot. That's it sucks, man. Mm, but yeah. ha- have I taken a follow-up shot? Uh, yes, I have. More, more than once. And oh, yeah. you know what? Like I have taken follow-up shots where that deer has been put down and is on the ground and comes home with me. And wow, I'm glad that I, that I had the, you know, that I took it. You're ready to take it. Like, you know, rack another one, shoot it again. Mm-hmm. If you have to just be ready. And I, I feel like if, you know, there's one thing I, I, I'm no expert, man. I'm, no expert, but there's one thing that I believe strongly in is be proficient with your weapon, you know, be proficient, be able to be able to make that shot. And if you don't make it, be able to rack another one and shoot again. Cause sometimes it, sometimes that's how it goes. Right. Well, and, and that's also part of like, you know, we're, we're kind of deviating off our larger conversation about black tails, but like, like one of the things about long range shooting as well, is that like, you're 500 meters from that deer. So if you have a miss hit or, or a slightly not awesome hit, you've got to go find that deer. You got to find where it was standing. And then you got yeah. to figure out where, you know, what was where, you know, what happened after that and, and in order to locate it. Now, in some cases, like the the biggest mule deer I ever shot was was a 400 yard shot, which was long for me. And the 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 factors that went into my decision making to shoot that deer was there was snow on the ground. There was fresh snow on the ground and he was standing out in a fairly open area. So I knew two things that if I, you know, I, if I get, if I hit him, I'm going to be able to follow him for a ways. And if I don't get a lethal hit on the first shot, I'm 
no doubt going to get a second shot based on where he's standing. So, yeah. and in the end, it, it worked out, but it was the first shot wasn't lethal. I hit him and he went and he, and he kind of went ran downhill. And I thought, okay, I probably got him. And I went over there and got on his tracks and found that there was blood in his tracks. But I had to actually, he got up when I got close to him and started running downhill. And I just reacted and, and, and shot him again on the run going downhill at, you know, 50 yards, kind of a, a whitetail shot. <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, still, it was, you know, I anticipated that would be a problem. But, you know, probably if that had been a, you know, spike buck, that tote wouldn't have taken that shot. But, you know, there's, there was no way for me to get close to that deer. And it was, you know, it's by far the most impressive mule deer I've seen. So I, oh, okay, I probably yeah. like, yeah, you know, it probably wasn't a, de- it's not a decision I'm like super stoked about, but uh, anyways, I look at that deer every day. I'm like, oh, that's a nice deer. So uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's somewhere in there like, you got to acknowledge that you're doing this to kill things and taking that you know, responsibility. Like, but Wayne Gretzky, right? You miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I preferred that, and I've, I've thought that. And deer don't die. Don't pull the trigger. But yeah, no. you know, just I think it's just important that we you know we acknowledge what we're doing as as hunters. Yeah, and take responsibility. 100 percent, and. That you know, I'm glad we're talking about this whole shooting thing because to me, like, I've heard stories, dude. You have too, right? Oh, like, I see, I've seen, I see it, right? You just watch you YouTube it, and you're like, like you guys yeah. are actually posting that as your brand is yeah. posting that. There's a, there's a, there yeah. was a, um, uh, which company was it? Oh, I, I don't need to say them out loud, I guess, but they're on, they're on a, a, a muzzle loader hunt and the guy, shoots at an elk at 600 yards with a muzzle loader oh, what are you doing? and he misses by a couple of feet and he's like oh sure. i didn't take it i didn't realize the wind was blowing that hard i if i that you know that would have been a dead elk if it, if i had you know anticipated the yeah. wind i'm like what do you mean like there's, there's 600 yards away like there's <laughs> yeah, a whole lot of other dude. factors dude like and you're shooting dude, a yeah. you're, you're shooting an antiquated rifle at the thing so yeah anyway i mean haywire and this is a brand yeah, that's like, putting this out as like, I don't know. It's crazy, man. Like, sure. I mean, I know like this conversation is kind of about learning to hunt and stuff. And like, this is kind of where this is this one point that I, I kind of come back to because, you know, I've made a bad shot in the past and I don't want to do it anymore. I feel like you owe it to the animal to be an ethical hunter, to, tr- to be proficient with your firearm. I really think it's important. Um, blacktail hunt, man, dude. It's like, oh shit, there he is. And like you grab a tree, you grab a rest and boom. And dude, that like, I don't know if you've done this, Dylan. Have you stopped deer with the old? Oh yeah. Cause I have. Or just the whistle. Oh dude. Yeah. It's like, "Eh." it works, man. It works good. It's crazy, but it it works for not, not for very long. No, no. They're they're, they're like, love a look and they're gone. Okay. So two, so so there's two things we should touch on. So just cause we haven't actually got there to conclude our conversation. Maybe we'll just delete our whole like long range shooting conversation from this so we could bring it down to like an hour. But but the the things that I did want to talk about, um, was, uh, we talked about when to hunt. So we're talking late season. Um, when, uh, as far as conditions go, I'm, I'm dealing with this right now, like where I'm, you know, watching the weather decide when I'm going to go hit one of those. I, I can take the boat out to some islands here um, where the season's still open for me. Um, what for you, what are, what are you looking for in terms of favorable hunting conditions? And probably a second question, which is probably tied to this question is what type of 
what's your strategy for getting on these deer? Like what, what type of system do you employ? Do you sit in a tree with your crossbow and wait? Yeah, not anymore, man. <laughs> uh, but no, you know what? It's uh late season winter range and it's when these bucks are kind of tail end of the rut typically, uh, or like during the rut or tail end of the rut. But, um, you know, I don't think you really stand a chance before this time frame. For me, anyways, I, I haven't been able to stand a chance. Um, the biggest deer I ever shot was on the last day of the season. It was on November 30th. And I shot this deer still hunting at about 30 yards. It was a big buck. And he was just tired out. You could just, you could tell he was mm-hmm. tired out, yeah. you know? Um, I had bumped this deer. This is a deer that I knew. I had seen him on my cams. I, I knew this deer. I knew he was in the area, but, uh, you know, they're, they're very intelligent animals. They, they know how to hide, but, uh, towards the end of the rut, they're, they're just tuckered out, you know? Um, so my, my basic strategy is still hunting, which as you know, you know, you're a whitetail still hunter. And I, I feel like it's very similar with blacktail and, oh, dude, you just painstakingly go slowly through these woods and you just go slower than you think. Go so that's like unbearably slow and then slow down a bit, mm-hmm. you know? Um, if the wind's at your back, you're wasting your time, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are kind of standard type of type of things. So but do, you, man, you, do you go, like, do you have a preferred weather type for, for your day of hunting? Oh, dude, if it's raining or snowing, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is where it's at. <laughs> the shittier, the better, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Like, if it's if it's cold and clear and there's a little bit of snow, that's horrible. It sucks, right? Because you can't be quiet. And unfortunately, like, as we as we discussed, like, you're, you're often getting into, you know, inside of 50 yards of these animals. And you're not going to walk into 50 yards of a mature buck when it's cold and clear you just not gonna, it's not going to happen. Right. So I, I really enjoy when it's raining, when it's snowing, when it's real shitty out, mm-hmm. a little bit of wind is good. Um, but yeah, the, the worse weather, the better, you know, if it's raining hard, that's great. You know, it's not the greatest for when you're dealing with the aftermath, but you know, as far as being able to, you know, uh, cover your scent a little bit and cover your noise a little bit, I feel like the bad weather. Yeah. Is the wind's great. Like, the wind really reduces what they can hear. It also reduces your own, yeah, yeah, your own noise, and I mean, it limits your ability to hear as well. Um, and sure. certainly, a bit of moisture on the ground helps for sure for still hunting. And we're trying to get. I, I, there's a a buddy of mine here in town that wants to get out for a deer hunt, and I just finished working on the boat, so I'm I'm good to go. And uh, but today would have been the day because it was snowing and raining and windy and oh, awful, yeah. and uh, I hadn't had the, the. I was still working on my boat, so I couldn't do it today so tomorrow it's supposed to be nice so it probably yeah. won't be i mean it'll still it, it's much more pleasant because you're not getting completely soaked to the ass but i think if you're black tail hunting yeah. you should be signed up for werewolf plan to get soaked oh, to yeah. the ass and um dude like i've got this little system where i've got two like wool outfits right and i wear one for the hike and then i ditch everything and put my fresh clean shit on oh, yeah and then I hunt all day. Like my spot's pretty high, right? Like, I mean, a lot of your listeners will kind of be familiar with Squamish, like the chief, right? Mm-hmm. So the chief is like a roughly 600 meter elevation. That's kind of what I do 
when I go blacktail hunting. So I, I do a 600 meter hike in the morning. I ditch all my stuff in my sweaty stuff. And then I start fresh at dawn and then I creep around the woods all day. But, uh, you know, these are big hikes that we're doing here. And this is the beauty of blacktail hunting. You're doing these big hikes that, you know, most people aren't really doing. They're not going to hike all the way up there for, to see a couple of does every now and again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, it kind of brings it back to what we were talking about before. Like these areas, man, they're not easy. They're not easy to go to. Totally. You know, totally. So, okay, let's finish this off with a quick touch on calling. Oh God. Uh, so what I've learned about calling. So the first thing I learned about calling is with, I'll try, I'll try to do this in five minutes. My, my experience of calling. So when I first got into calling as a whitetail hunter, as a kid, I would try rattling. It was like, there was lots of big buck magazine was talking about rattling. So I got myself like yeah. cut off a couple of horns off a deer and, and I was, you know, go out there and rattle. And I awesome. pretty soon figured out the first thing I learned is that like, so the deer will always come in downwind of you as soon as you call or rattle, which right away screws everything up because now you've got deer coming in downwind of you looking for you. So you have to set up so that whatever's downwind of you is a conducive place for an animal to come in. Now, along my journey, I tried lots of things like putting a, uh, a cliff at my back so they couldn't come around downwind of me. Well, that mm-hmm. doesn't work. They just don't come in, right? They don't, they'll just never mm-hmm. come in in front of you upwind. Like that's just not what they do. So, right. so it's, and so then I tried putting in, uh, I would rattle where like there's a big field downwind of me and then they'd have to like walk out into the field and they won't want to do that. So they'd cut, they'd come in the timber towards me on the, on the upwind. No, it didn't work. So at the end of the day, like every time you rattle, you're just bringing deer downwind of you. So the only way to do it, as I learned, is you have to pick a spot that's like, that's open enough that deer will walk into, but, or sorry, close, uh, covered enough that deer are comfortable walking in downwind of you, but open enough that you could try, hopefully, and get a look at them before they catch your wind. So they got to, you got to kind of assume they're going to flank you on that downwind side. So eventually I figured this out after a few years of doing this, that that's the only way you're going to see a deer. But by and large, they're so sneaky and they're so careful that like by the time that like you could maybe get a shot at them, I mean, they're looking for you and, and like mm. just to get your rifle up and on them before they wind you and see you like it's, yeah. you know, and, and so over the years of doing this, I've realized that, well, like I know where the deer are. I mean, I've been hunting this, you know, deer, deer hunting these spots for 35 years. Like I know where the deer are and I should just sit there. And wait for the deer to come. I don't need to call them. They're gonna they, they live here. They're gonna walk through here. All I'm doing when I rattle or call is all of a sudden instead of them just like walking in front of me unaware and strolling through this high density deer zone that I've learned over 35 years of walking through these areas, like why why screw it up with a call when I know they're there anyways? I just have to wait a little yeah. longer, right? So so that was sort of like that's kind of where I've got to in this whole picture of stuff is that like where I know an area really well, I should just shut up and sit on a spot and, and and wait it out. And, uh, and that's more productive. Now, having said that in spots where you like, you don't know if it's a good spot and maybe a spot when you're blacktail hunting, when you can maybe see 
an area and you're looking downwind, you're looking at the piece of country downwind that's like maybe can do so they come in on, they'd be comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe there's like a deer somewhere in this area and maybe, well, it's not maybe, it's definitely too hard to sneak around quietly. That's yeah. kind of the, the, the difference with blacktail hunting. It's like there's, you can't really sneak around in most blacktail country for any length of time. Like you get, like I said, I've got a hundred meter by a hundred meter square of mossy niceness that I can sneak around. And other than that, it's just, it's, 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 it's gong show. So I would say like, okay, well maybe I could perch up in one of these spots that I can see something and I could, you know, use my doe bleat or my buck grunt and, and see yeah. if it pulls something out of these more challenging areas that I won't be able to hunt anyways and pulls yeah. them into these areas that I can maybe see them. And, and ultimately that's, that's maybe how I got my deer this year is that, I kind of announced that I was there and he kind of walked in and, and I was. So this was with the doe bleat? With the doe bleat, yeah. Yeah. So, so the, yeah, the deer, the, the deer that I called in, oh, that I shot this year, he happened to walk down on the downwind side of me from where I was sitting after I had doe bleated about four or five times and waited for half an hour. But I also yeah. knew that deer was going to be there. I also knew that he was probably going to walk by there. I also knew it was the 4th of November. And if you're a blacktail sure. buck on the, you're going to be wandering around in your zone. And I knew that was his zone and there was does there. So it, so it was either effective or did no harm. Did no harm. So fast forward to my mule deer hunt this year, at the end of November, we're, we're, we're hunting uh, not too far from where you were. And, and I'm, and I, I listened to this podcast by some guy in the South who's all about grunting and grunt tubes. And I, and, I, yeah, and I got yeah. another buddy who's actually very dedicated mule deer hunter that like really believes in the grunt tube. So I've been, I, I, I you know, and, and if Steve says use a grunt tube, I'm going to try it out because he's an excellent hunter and, I, and I'm going to give it a whirl. So I'm, I'm there uh, with this brand new grunt tube and I'm just trying it out in different scenarios. And um, I set up in a few spots. It's super cold though. So you, you, you sit around and you grunt for a bit and you wait for something to come in and you're too cold. You got to walk, but. I'm, I'm, I'm finally able to still hunt a bit. The snow conditions get, it was really awful hunting because the snow wasn't good for still hunting, but it finally kind of got good for a second there just between temperature changes. And I was sneaking through the forest there a bit and I, and I see a deer and it turns out to be a little, it's a little two point buck and it hasn't quite made me yet. So I get up my grunt tube and I, I grunt a couple times and watch its reaction as part of my, and it, and it gets curious. It kind of wanders over and checks me out and then kind of realizes that I'm not a, buck or a but so deer. It wasn't spooked by the grunt though. Didn't spook. No, it, it just got curious. It kind of took two or three steps towards me, but didn't like, it was curious and kind of scared. And then it kind of, yeah. I, I was pretty close to it too at this time. So probably was probably too close for it to be curious, you know, like mm-hmm. it probably, like it did, didn't cut, if it came any closer, it would have been 20 yards or something. Right. So yeah. anyway, so I messed around with them for a little bit and then I had finally got on my still hunt on this hunt and I'm in some pretty good mule deer timber. So, and I, and I was actually just when I was, saw this little two point, I was just creeping up on this ridgeline and he was on the top of the ridgeline. That's where I saw him. And, and my main game is to like creep over top of these ridges and look down into the next little basin of timber um, and hopefully find mule deer feeding or bedded down. Well, should I crawl? I sneak up over this top of this ridge and shit, just like right below me, there's a doe looking at me and another doe looking at me and they just like cook out of there. And I, and then I look a little bit down. I was a, there's another 
another deer looking at me. It's a beautiful four point buck staring at me, maybe oh. 40 yards away. And they, they were just sitting there going, like, what's grunting on that hilltop there? Oh. You know, like they were just, they, they were totally keyed in. And had 100% had I not been grunting and making those noises, yeah. I would have snuck up over that ridge, like up on my program, my still hunting program. I would have had a right. little bit of cover. I would have looked right down uh. and there would have been three deer feeding below me and there would have been a yeah. you know, 100% dead buck. And uh, so it's like, that's always what you wonder. Did you do harm? Always. So I don't know. I'm, I don't know? think I'm a caller, but then I'm in. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, do you remember Dylan a couple of years back? I was texting with you. I was hunting up my zone and I, I, I shot up, I shot a black tail and I was rattling and, uh, I did not rattle this buck in, but I also did not spook him by my rattling. Okay. So, you know, I found that it wasn't like my rattling, you know, sealed the deal or anything, but it did no harm. And that's what I'm always wondering. Like it's, it's cool if it either, you know, is an effective strategy or does no harm, <laughs> but if it spooks them, well now it's not, now it's like screwing up your program. Right. And you never know, like I've messed around with grunts and dough bleats and stuff, but like, I don't know, man, like, did all this dough bleeding that I used to do scare off the bucks? I don't know. So I'm always really self-conscious. Like, so typically I don't call. I'm like quiet as a mouse. Yeah. Cause I'm just like, I don't know, dude, like these deer, like they're going to know, man, they're, they're too smart for this. They know that's not a real dough. You know what I mean? Like, well, I think at the end of the day, you just got to be committed to whatever you're doing. So if you're going to do it, do it, do it really well. And I think the guys yeah. who are successful or folks, I should say that are successful with calling is, and we calling from a tree stand helps doing scent management helps like being like reducing your and committing to the program of calling and, yeah. and just sitting and calling and rattling or whatever you're going to do. And then just allow that process to go through. The problem with probably folks like you and I is that we're still hunters first and foremost. So we get tired of sitting there waiting for some deer to come in on the bleat. So then we move and then we move again. Sure. And then, and so you yeah. don't really get a chance to allow that process to unfold. And, and, as soon as you call, like those deer are super aware and they're super, they're super tricky. Like they're going to sneak in and they're going to have a good luck. And oh, like, yeah. and so now you're, now you're like, you've lost, you're going to lose the game every time of like, if, if a deer knows you're there or, or like, if you know, there's a deer over the ridge there and a deer knows you're over the ridge on the other side, they're going to see you every time. Like they're going to beat you oh, at yeah. this game of hide and seek every 100%. time. Like there's no way. Oh, like, yeah. So, so the only hope you have of, of getting on a deer is to like, that they don't know you're there. Like you're, you're, the whole idea is to try to reduce the awareness and that's the whole still hunting game. So. Yeah. Oh dude. Like, have you, um, you know, Robbie Denning, he's this mule deer hunter. He wrote this book called, I, I, it's something like high country mule deer, Robbie Denning, Mike Eastman also wrote this book on mule deer. And I've read these couple books. These are these older books, but they essentially dive into this world of still hunting that, that you and I do. And, there's this kind of hundred yards an hour speed that people talk <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard this? Yeah. Right. And like, he's like, yeah, hundred, hundred yards an hour. But if I know I'm in buck country, 50 yards an hour, <laughs> I, I read this book several years ago. Right. And I was like, what? That, no, dude, fuck. That doesn't make any sense. Can't go that slow, but it's, tr it's true, man. It's true. So the biggest buck that I ever shot, you know, um, it was, it was a, pretty big deer man it was a pretty big black tail deer and and i shot this deer when i was walking as slow as you could imagine man like i i 
I was barely moving, but I had seen him in the morning. I had seen this deer in my cans and I just knew he was living up there. That's all it was. I knew he was in the area and I just was tiptoeing around and it's, it's painstaking, right? Walking that slow. But I, I truly believe I was doing about a 50 yards an hour. Hmm. And when I took a couple steps and looked over this little crest, this deer was standing there looking away from me. He didn't know I was there. He was about 40 yards away. And I shot him broadside. He's biggest deer of my life. Right on. And it was just because I was dedicated to going that slow. And you you kind of have to, man. Like Otherwise, they're gone. Well, you might make out to be a pretty good whitetail hunter. So maybe you should join us. I don't know. It's pretty fun, oh, man. I, it's, I would love it's to. It's pretty challenging and pretty fun. To. So anyway, we should probably wrap this up because we're, we're well over an hour. And I've taken up lots of your time. You got to finish butchering your deer, and I've got to finish oh, making God. dinner. Yeah, um, I got yeah. I got my last sort of black tail. Well, maybe my last hunt trip tomorrow. Are you done for the year? Uh, I I still have a tag, so that's nice. And yeah. and I've got um, you know, there's black tail hunting opportunities, um, not far from me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get you know maybe do a couple more day trips. I'm I'm hoping Mickey might want to get out for one more day, um. And, uh, but tomorrow I'm going out with a, with a buddy here who's a, um, new to the sunshine coast and is a bit lonely. So I'm going to at least go for, go for a day on the water and maybe set the prawn traps cool. and yeah, jump, you know, cruise around on the island. A pretty generally an unproductive deer hunt, but all around pretty fun experience. So again. Oh, yeah. you're living the, you're living the dream, man. Living on the sunshine coast. It's so awesome up there, man. Pretty nice. Pretty quiet too, though. It's, it's got, I mean, Mickey and I are, you know, we're, we're working on a, you know, a balanced plan of maybe having a place in the city and a place here, then then we're then, then we're living the dream. So, sure. Well, if you ever find yourself up in the Pemberton Valley, man, come say hello. Well, because we, we got our little little slice of paradise up. Yeah, here. I definitely love. Well, even your shop looks like paradise to me from what I can see from the from the podcast uh, view here. Um, but this has been great. Well, hang on the line here, uh, Travis, before I, you know, and then we'll, we'll just wrap up, but I'll, I'll say goodbye to the sure. listeners. This has been a lot of fun hanging out with, with, with Travis Case, And, and, you know, I have to say like, he's pretty much his entire success. He, he should, uh, uh eat wild is responsible for his, uh, his entire success. hundred percent. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just kidding. Travis. This has been fun hanging out with you, man. And, um, no, you know what though, Dylan, I got to say, man, it's true. Like there's as we've always talked about there's this like a little bit of a barrier to entry and eat wild for me it, it did kind of break that barrier it was the little jump i needed to kind of like yeah man i can do this fuck i can do this man we can do that and it, it was awesome man like hanging out with you guys out in the mountains it was it was sweet oh that's great well it does mean a lot so it does mean a lot because it's it's uh and we've had so much fun doing this project and but really the best part about it is just making new friends and creating community and and uh it's kind of fun to you know, six or seven years later, have you on the podcast and talk about your successes sure, of, uh, and all the things you've yeah. learned, and it's been fun. So, anyways, thanks awesome. for coming on the, on the podcast, and uh, yeah, okay, let's um, let's wrap this up. And um, okay, we'll, thanks, yeah, Dan. right on. Okay, see everybody. Hey, folks, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so drop us a question either on our Instagram. Or email me directly at dylan at eatwild.ca and we'll do our best to answer that question on our future podcast. Or we might even build an entire podcast based on your questions. So thanks for doing that. So if you want to hear more from Eat Wild, you can come join us. We're doing a series of 
Eat Wild, Learn to Hunt webinars. So we're getting together on a monthly basis, talking about all things hunting with a group of mentors through a webinar format. They're tons of fun. Come join us there. Now, if you happen to live in the Vancouver, British Columbia area, we do in-person workshops where we get together, learn fundamental skills for you to be a better hunter. Hope you can hang out for one of those two if you happen to be in the area. Now, we'd love it if you could leave a review or a comment wherever you listen to your podcast. That'd be a great help to us. And more importantly, share this podcast with folks who care about the stuff we're talking about. So thanks for doing that. Until next time, eat well and wild. Well.